Hey y'all, Eve's here. We're doubling up today with two events in history. On with the show. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was February 17, 1913. More than 1,200 artworks by around 300 artists were on display in New York City. Matisse, Gauguin, Duchamp, Kathleen McEnery, Picasso, Munch, Cezanne, Degas, Hopper, and more American and European artists all had work on exhibition at the 69th Regiment Armory on Lexington Avenue and 25th Street. It was all part of the International Exhibition of Modern Art, or what came to be known simply as the Armory Show. More than 1,200 artworks by around 300 artists were on display in New York City. It's easy to recognize these names now, and we'd consider their work valuable. But back in the early 1900s, the cultural distance between the United States and Europe was far greater. The American art scene looked nothing like the European art scene at the time. While art in Europe was getting pretty risky, think cubism, futurism, and abstract sculpture, art in America was still stuck within pretty rigid boundaries. More realistic art, like that of the old masters, was still popular in the States, and the people who could afford to collect art were acquiring new pieces to affirm their status. The National Academy of Design, a rather traditional arts organization, acted as a kind of gatekeeper in the New York City art world, only letting in the artists whose work stayed in an acceptable lane of idealism. But there were artists who refused to accept this stifling of experimentation in American art. In 1911, artists Jerome Myers, Elmer McRae, Walt Kuhn, and Henry Fitch Taylor started meeting at Madison Gallery in New York to discuss forming a society that would help young artists exhibit their work in America. By the end of the year, the four artists banded together with other artists to form the Association of American Painters and Sculptors, a blatantly anti-academy group whose goal was to exhibit, quote, the works of progressive and live painters, both American and foreign, favoring such work usually neglected by current shows and especially interesting and instructive to the public. So Walt Kuhn, the organization's president, Arthur Bowen Davies, and artist Walter Pack combed Europe looking for artworks to take back across the pond. They found hundreds of works, and Davies and Kuhn arrived back in New York near the end of 1912. And in America, the association had been gathering the works of artists like Albert Pinkman Ryder, Edith Demott, Marsden Hartley, and Ethel Myers. There was no jury for the exhibition, unlike the Academy shows. In December, the association sent out a call for artists to submit works in any medium. Here's a line from that circular. The association particularly desires to encourage all artwork that is produced for the pleasure that the producer finds in carrying it out. They didn't take all the submissions, but they did take a lot. 
Collector John Quinn said the following at the show's opening. The members of this association have shown you that American artists, young American artists, that is, do not dread and have no need to dread the ideas or culture of Europe. They believe that in the domain of art, only the best should rule. This exhibition will be epoch-making in the history of American art. On the night it opened, the exhibition attracted 4,000 guests. But as you could imagine, people had wildly mixed reactions, ranging from the utterly disgusted to the highly enamored. The show basically went the early 20th century version of viral. Duchamp's Cubist painting, Nude Descending a Staircase, particularly had people in a tizzy. The magazine Art News offered readers $10 if they could figure out what it meant. One critic said it looked like an explosion in a shingle factory. Another said it looked like an academic painting of an artichoke. In general, reviewers questioned whether the so-called progressive work could really even be considered art. All that said, the show had a ton of fans. Before the Armory show was over in New York and headed to Chicago for its next run, it pulled in 87,000 visitors. Change wouldn't happen immediately. The show made many American artists feel like they had license to experiment, while others weren't so sure of the longevity of the new art styles. Galleries started carrying more modern and contemporary art, though they favored European artworks. And the show did open up conversations about art that had previously been limited to the elite. The art world in America was headed for an upheaval, and the kind of art that was considered good was about to broaden drastically. And the show did open up conversations about art that had previously been limited to the elite. I'm Eves Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. As I was researching this episode, I was just thinking about how this whole event would cause a lot of Twitter madness today. Like, even people who stuck up for the artwork at the show had to take some heat. The Chicago Tribune even published this poem. I called the canvas cow with cud and hung it on the line. Although to me twas vague as mud, twas clear to Gertrude Stein. Catch you tomorrow for another episode. Hi, everyone. I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a podcast where we build the time machine, and all you have to do is hop in. The day was February 17, 1838. The Zulu massacre of four trekkers in KwaZulu-Natal resulted in the death of hundreds of people. The Zulu are a Bantu ethnic group, made up of people who live mostly in the province of KwaZulu-Natal. The Zulu were known for being efficient and skilled warriors, and their kingdom grew significantly under the leadership of Shaka in the early 19th century. Shaka was assassinated in 1828. His brother, Dingan, then took the throne. Dingan was king at the time of the massacre. Four trekkers were Boers who took part in the Great Trek, 
a migration of the Dutch and their descendants from the British Cape Colony into the interior of present-day South Africa starting in 1834. The four trekkers sought land and colonization and looked to get away from British rule. As they did so, they came into conflict with indigenous people living in the places they were invading. In 1837, Fort Trekker Pete Retief met with Dingon to negotiate a land deal. Dingon may have agreed to grant him land, providing the Fort Trekkers retrieve a herd of cattle that was stolen. He also may have required the Boers to recover the cattle before he agreed to any deal. Retief ended up finding the cattle and bringing back some of the herd to Dingon in early 1838. It's unclear exactly why, but Dengan ordered the Zulus to kill Retief and the rest of his party. Following this massacre, Dengan sent a group of armed men, or impis, to kill the rest of the four-trekkers who were camped out nearby at sites along the Bushman River. The Zulus killed more than 200 four-trekkers and around 250 people of other ethnic groups who accompanied the four-trekkers, according to estimates. The town of Vainen, a Dutch word for wept, was established months after the massacre. Through the rest of the year, the Zulus continued to clash with the Four Trekkers. The Four Trekkers responded to the massacre with a raid against the Zulu, but they were attacked by Zulu warriors at Ithlani. Continued conflict led to the Battle of Blood River on December 16, 1838. Andres Pretorius led the Four Trekker forces into Zululand for the battle. The Vortrekkers were way outnumbered, with hundreds of them versus an estimated tens of thousands of Zulu warriors. But the Vortrekkers won the battle and soon proclaimed the short-lived Natalia Republic. Dengan's brother, Pande, sided with the Vortrekkers and garnered the allyship of thousands of impis to overtake Dengan. A civil war broke out within the Zulu nation. With the joined forces of Pande and Pretorius, Dengan was overthrown. The Zulu king fled but was soon assassinated. Pande sided with the Natalia Republic until it was annexed by the British in 1843. At that point, Pande allied with the British. Boers began celebrating December 16th as Dingon's Day after the Battle of Blood River, then as Day of the Vow. The public holiday was later renamed the Day of Reconciliation. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. And you can email us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll be back tomorrow with another one. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.